It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment here at Disney Blues, Diz Radio, and the Diz Radio Show. And this week, as we are full-fledged into June, it is the week of June 8th, 2017, show number 180. And to help us kick off here this week, we have somebody that's going to introduce us to demigods, take us dancing along on Broadway, and having all kinds of fun. Because we have none other than the iconic, the voice actress, the solo artist... Yes, the one and only Susan Egan is stopping in here this week. That's right, Susan Egan, who you may know as the original Belle in the original Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, the Broadway incarnation of the Disney classic. She also played Meg or Megara, as we all know, the sassy, fun, flawed, great sensual tease to Hercules in Disney's 1997 animated classic, Hercules. She also is a solo artist and so many other things. And Susan is going to stop in and chat with all of us here at Diz Radio and talk about a variety of different things. What it was like landing that coveted role of Belle in Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. All the behind the scenes on how she landed this role. Has she ever seen the classic? Also playing Meg in Hercules. The sassy, fun, quick-witted heroine of the animated classic. What is she working on now? How do her kids react to her and her legacy into the Broadway and entertainment realm and so much more so susan's going to stop in and chat with all of us here at the show and of course no show would be complete without the d team that's right you have the questions he always has the answers and aaron is going to answer all your questions and i want to know we also have the long haul or the short leash however you want to look at it with tips and tricks to make the most out of your walt disney world vacation with dominic we have the symphony for your ears now Paige may be down there working hard at the walt disney world resort but she carved some time away on her break and is bringing you the magical music review with that symphony for your ears. We also have another Blu-ray and DVD you have to add to your collection as Jason is going deep into the vault to uncover one of those gems for you. And let's not forget the latest as to what's going on at the Walt Disney World Resort with WDW and 2 with our very own Caitlin. There is all kinds of news hot off the D-wire from the Disney Channel, Disney Junior, The Magic Kingdom, Disney Blu-rays, Beauty and the Beast, Star Wars, Marvel, and so many other things within the Walt Disney Company here this week. So before we jump into this week's show and spend that time with our heroine and the one reading books and the one singing us songs, I do want to mention that Diz Radio is probably sponsored by Castle and Dreams Travel. And Castle and Dreams Travel is 100% free agency. They're going to hold your hand, walk you through the process, and treat you like family open arms and help you make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have at the Walt Disney World Resort. They're going to help you with those dining reservations, booking those fast passes, making the trip extra magical. And they also have bilingual experts to help you with any language barriers that you could possibly have. So definitely check them out. Castle and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you has with that said, it is time to look up into the heavens, get ready to interact with somebody that knows a demigod, as well as walking through those streets singing songs and fearing the beast because we're officially going to kick off show number 180 for the week of june 8th 2017 
And I'll be right back, all VG heads. Long ago, in the faraway land of ancient Greece, there was a golden age of powerful gods and extraordinary heroes. And the greatest and strongest of all these heroes was the mighty Hercules. But what is the measure of a true hero? Now, that is what our story Will is about. listen to him? He's making this story sound like some Greek tragedy. Lighten up, dude. We'll take it from here, darling. You go, girl. We are the muses, goddesses of the arts, and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules. I'd like to make some sweet music Our with Our story actually begins long before Hercules, many eons ago. Back when the world was new. The planet Earth was down on its luck And everywhere gigantic brutes called titans ran amok It was a nasty place There was a mess wherever you stepped Where chaos reigned and earthquakes and volcanoes never slept Woo! Stand your friend! And then along came He hurled his thumbs in the boat Envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that piece. Walt Disney Pictures invites you to take a special zero to hero look at the making of Hercules, Disney's 35th full length animated feature. All right, all right! Ah, yeah. Bless my soul, Kirk was on a road. Person of the weekend, every Greek opinion poll. Drawing its story from the mythical muscle man. Hercules is an over-the-top comedy with a unique place in the history of Disney animation. It's the first Disney feature, really, that's based on mythology rather than fairy tales or folk tales. <sighs> what do you know? The story follows the amazing journeys of Hercules as he grows from a boy to a young man, battles the forces of evil, and along the way learns what it takes to be a real hero. Yeah, he, uh, he was a god. Um, son of Zeus. Look how cute he is. Thank you, thank you. And he was basically, he came to the earth, which made him mortal, and he can't return to Mount Olympus unless he proves himself a true hero. Isn't that too nutty? I think he starts out the movie really wanting to be a hero, just for the sort of, you know, the glamour of it all. I'm an action figure! And he sort of discovers, uh, you know, through uh, beating up, you know, huge monsters, that uh, what a true hero is. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Susan Egan, Broadway's original Belle in Beauty and the Beast and Megara in Disney's Hercules. You are listening to Diz Radio. It's a real slice. Her the best. 
best. And don't I deserve the best? Of course you do. Right from the moment when I met her, saw her, I said she's gorgeous and I fell. Here in town there's only she who's as beautiful as me, so I'm making plans to woo and marry Heads, you're listening to Disney on Demand. Wow, it's dark in here. Wow, and now it's Finally, too bright. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. Kari, Kari McKean. It's like Carrie only with a K instead of a C and an A instead of an E and only one R and an I instead of an I. It's Disney on Demand. Well, it started out like any normal sitting gig, you know, with the reassuring of the parent and all. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. I just wish I could forget the whole thing. You will, kid. You will. All right, all of you D-heads, so I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 180 for the week of June 8th, 2017, as we're getting ready for none other than Susan Egan to be stopping in here at the show. Yes, Susan, like I already mentioned, Meg from Disney's Hercules, the 35th animated Disney classic feature, as well as the original Belle for Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, as Susan's going to stop in, give us some behind-the-scenes stories, and so many other things for what it was like being on Broadway, portraying Meg, her fondest memories, and so much more. More. In addition, no show would be complete without the D-Team, and like I said, we have almost a full D-Team here this week, as we have Aaron, Dominic, Caitlin, Paige, and Jason all stopping in with their signature segments. They're going to be that little bit of magic and hint to your day here this week at Disney On Demand, and of course, we have you, the D-Heads, tuning in, listening in right now. Now, before we jump into that news hot off the D-Wire, do you know what? This week... I am not giving you the news. Yes, I know at the beginning of the show, I said I was going to bring you news hot off the D-Wire from the Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, and so much more. And every single week, you know I always bring you that news. Tons and tons of news within the Walt Disney Company. But I'm sitting here, we're getting ready to have the whole show play out, and I'm looking here, and we have so many different things going on here this week, including Susan Egan's resume. That right there could take us two hours to discuss everything that she's done throughout her entire career. So you know what? I am going to spare you here this week, all of you D-heads. Yes, I am going to spare you the news hot off the D-wire. We already have tons of news that is hot off the D-wire on the official website at DizRadio.com and so many other things. So this week, yes, you luck out. You don't have to listen to me ramble on and on and on for a good 20, 30 minutes with everything going on within the Walt Disney Company. This week, I am pulling back. I'm going to release those reins to the D-Team and so much more. But before I do that, before I release those reins, I do have to mention that DizRadio.com 
is probably sponsored by Castle and Dreams Travel. And Castle and Dreams Travel is 100% free agency. They're going to help you plan, book, prepare, and make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have from dining reservations, fast passes, you name it. They're going to treat you like family. Open up those arms and walk you through the process. They have bilingual agents that are going to help you with any language barriers and so much more. So definitely check them out. Castle and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all VD heads, with that said, like I mentioned, there is going to be no news here this week. That's right. I am not giving you any of the news, but I do want to extend that call out once again to anybody looking to join up here at the D-Team. We have a lot of things on the horizon. Definitely check out all of our pages and so many other things. And speaking of that, wow, because I'm... Because I am passing up news here, I almost forgot to give you all the different ways to stay connected here at the show. See, I'm throwing off my own format. See, that is already going crazy. I'm throwing off the format. I do away with the news. I forget everything I have to tell you. All right, so before I release the reins here to the D-Team, I do got to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our fullest of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Show. That's D-I-Z Radio, S-H-O-W. And that's our all-new Facebook page, yes, as we are still rebuilding it from when that hacker had taken it down. You can also connect up with us on Facebook in the D-Wire Disney Discussion Group as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky, magical kind of Disney show. And remember, if you want to stay connected instantly, yes, even when I am having news and not having one of these off weeks, all you have to do is go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. It is that easy. Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe right there. Search Diz Radio, Disney Blue, or Disney On Demand, and you can get the latest shows as they get released on your iPhone, your Android, your tablet, the device of your choice, and and have our wonderful voices just ringing in your ears instantly as they get released. And if you can't remember any of this because I'm throwing myself off from our own format, you can find all of this and more on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. Woo, all right, D-Heads, that's, uh, that really threw me off here. That one threw me for a loop. You know, do away with news, forget your own format and what you're supposed to read here. I also do want to mention that we have official D-Head t-shirts. So if you want to be a D-Head, right now they are on sale this week. Yes, it's a sales pitch. But we do have official D-Head t-shirts now. If you want a shirt showing that you're a Disney fan, it says, guess what? I'm a D-Head. And underneath it has the subtext saying, I'm a Disney fan. What did you think it meant? You're going to love these. You can find them on our Facebook pages and so many other places. Order yours today right now. They are really, really cheap. On sale. Become an official D-Head and show your love of Disney. All right, all of you D-Heads. No more sales pitches. No more plugs. No more promos. Even though I did away with news, I rambled on here for at least the last five minutes. But I'm going to release the reins here to the D-Team because we have a lot coming from the D-Team. And I am excited. I am super excited to talk with Susan Egan. Yes, voice actress, solo artist, Broadway star, you name it. And she's going to be stopping in here and chatting with us. So throwing myself off from my own format, I'm going to release the reins here to the D-Team. So let's continue on with show number 180 for the week of June 8th. 2017 and boy wasn't that the shortest you had to hear me ramble at the beginning of the show be right back all vd heads and take it away team we 
are the muses, gods of the arts, proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Hercules? I'd like to make some sweet music. Our story actually begins in ancient Greece, many eons ago. The smash musical critics call Broadway at its best. It's being hailed as the most lavish, opulent, eye-popping show ever. Beauty and the Beast is a spectacular stage extravaganza. Joel Siegel of Good Morning America declares, you'll have the time of your life. Disney's Beauty and the Beast, nominated for nine 1994 Tony Awards. Get your tickets now at the Palace Theatre box office or call 212-307-4100. Hi, I'm Robbie Benson, the author of I'm Not Dead Yet and also The Beast. And you're listening to Disney On Demand. You have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D-Heads. This is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. Well, it's definitely feeling summertime here in Arkansas, and thankfully we're finishing up baseball just in time. I think the cool weather might be gone till fall. Well, you guys have been busy sending in questions, and the virtual mailbag is full. 
So let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Lauren Tom of Utah, and she writes, Aaron of I Want to Know, My questions I have for you involve Freaky Friday. I swear there was a Disney version made in the late 80s or 90s with maybe Shelley Long. Am I remembering this right? I think it was a time when Disney was remaking a lot of classics for the wonderful world of Disney. Am I right? Was there one? If so, is it on DVD? Thoughts? Well, you're absolutely correct, Lauren. This version of Freaky Friday was released in 1995. It's a remake of the 1976 film of the same name, produced by Walt Disney Television, which premiered on May 6, 1995, as part of the wonderful world of Disney. It's the fourth in a series of four remakes of classic Disney films produced for broadcast on ABC during the 1994-95 television season. The three preceding this film were The Shaggy Dog, The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes, and Escape to Witch Mountain. In this rendition of Freaky Friday, a mother, Ellen, played by Shelley Long, and daughter, Annabelle, played by Gabby Hoffman, find it difficult to get along with each other, each professing that the other has no idea what her life is like. A pair of magical amulets causes the two of them to switch bodies for a day, after which they have reached a better understanding of each other. Among many changes from the original, this version of the story has diving instead of water skiing as Annabelle's main hobby, which again plays a big role in the film's climax. Also in the original, and in the book, Ellen and Bill are married, and Bill is Annabelle's dad. Whereas in this adaptation, Ellen is a single mom, and Bill is her new boyfriend. And unfortunately, it never had an official release on DVD. Well, our next question is from Heather Worthington from Iowa, and she writes, Just recently found the show and love it. I got to thinking about some of the parks. When I was little, I remember riding a train in Frontierland. When I recently went to the parks, there is no Frontierland station at the Magic Kingdom. Am I remembering something that never existed? Help is much appreciated. Well, like the steam trains running on the Disneyland Railroad during Disneyland's opening day on July 17, 1955, the steam trains for the Walt Disney World Railroad were the first attraction in the Magic Kingdom Park to be finished, and they've been operating in the park ever since its first opening on October 1st, 1971. During the first few months after the Walt Disney World Railroad opened to the public, Main Street USA Station, modeled after the former Victorian-style Saratoga Springs Station, in Saratoga Springs, New York, was the only stop for passengers along its route, making only complete round trips possible. But that changed on May 1, 1972, when the first Frontierland station opened, just northwest of Pecosville Tall Inn and Cafe in the Frontierland section. It was demolished in November 1990 to make way for the new Splash Mountain attraction and was replaced by the current Frontierland Station, which opened in December of 1991, just north of where the original station stood. 
during construction of the Splash Mountain attraction and the current Frontierland station, the Walt Disney World Railroad was temporarily named Backtrack Express and operated a single train which only traveled back and forth along the section of track between Main Street USA section and Mickey Starland section. Well, maybe when you were there last, Heather, the Frontier Station might have been closed for a refurb or something. Well, our last question this week is from Tom Perkin of Michigan, and he writes, Hey team, Aaron, question for you. In Disney's The Black Cauldron, is it true it was the first Disney animated feature to be rated PG, and the first without musical numbers? I think the movie is fantastic, and love it and all the books. Just trying to see if this bit of trivia is really true. Did they ever make any toys for it as well? Thank you from a D-head. Well, The Black Cauldron was released in 1985, and yes, it was the first Disney animated film to receive a PG rating, as well as the first Disney animated film to feature computer-generated imagery. And it was the first Disney animated movie to have no songs in it. It looks like there were some plushes and maybe some plastic figurines made from the movie, but nothing major. McDonald's did have one black cauldron toy with Gurgi sitting on a VHS copy of the movie. There was a collection of VHS figurines that when put together formed an animated train of Disney movies. Well D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for the great questions and keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. Legend has it, there was once a king so cruel and so evil that the gods feared him. Since no prison could hold him, he was trapped forever in the form of a great black cauldron. The old king, that black-hearted devil. Walt Disney Pictures presents The Black Cauldron. Escape into a world of darkness. Are you coming? Me? Go in there? Oh, no, no, no. It's a terrible place. A world of excitement. <sighs> a world of dreams. Aaron, the greatest warrior a true hero. And through the magic of 70mm photography and six-track Dolby sound, you will be transported to a fantasy event for the entire family. It's working! Soon the Black Cauldron will be mine. In the great tradition of Disney animated classics, now comes the newest Disney spectacle of them all, The Black Cauldron. There's something sweet and almost kind but he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined And now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see him there before Come along, dearie. Let's get you out of those wet things. 
She glanced this way, I thought I saw And when we touched she didn't shudder at my paw No, it can't be, I'll just ignore But then she never looked at me that way before Belle, I have something to show you But first, you have to close your eyes It's a surprise! from the stone. He tried once, to no avail. He tried a second time, but still he could not pull it out. Then, for the third time, Arthur drew forth the sword. So that must mean he's the king! <laughs> Wait and see. I never knew books could do that. Do what? Take me away from this place. Make me... Forget for a little while. Forget? Who I... What I am. 
We have something in common, you know. What is that? In the town where I come from, the people think I'm odd. You? So I know how it feels to be... different. And I know how lonely that can be. Arthur drew forth the sword, and there arose from the people a great shout. Arthur is king. Told you so. The grand prize was... ...in their dealings with... ...dressed envelope to... ...Davis and Kirk... ...right down that... Nestle presents Hercules Limited Edition Chocolate Bars. They're inspired by Disney's Hercules, the fun new movie soon in theaters. First, we take Nestle Milk Chocolate, then add White Chocolate, with characters from the movie. There are seven character combinations, so you never know who you'll find next. What a delicious way to celebrate Disney's Hercules. Nestle Hercules Chocolate Bars. Hi there, it's Caitlin here with WDWN2, a quick rundown of what's happening in the parks. If you're planning on attending Night of Joy, the tickets are now officially available, and this year they've expanded the ticket options, which is really nice. You can purchase a concert-only pass or a ticket that is park admission and the concert combined. There's a lot of special guest artists on the slate, including Mercy Me, Natalie Grant, Danny Goki, Jordan Feliz, Crowder, and more. For more information, check out nightofjoy.com. There have been some new menu additions to the classic Epcot restaurant Coral Reef that sounds so delicious. If you're feeling adventurous, try the charbroiled octopus with nori sushi rice, sesame slaw, and a soy reduction. Or go for a more classic option with the seafood salad with gulf shrimp and mahi-mahi in a citrus marinade. And for dessert, there's a citrus bread pudding with whiskey sauce, candied pecans, and salted caramel gelato. Yes, please. If you need a quick break from the heat during your trip to Hollywood Studios, the perfect spot to get away is One Man's Dream. Right now, they're showing previews for Pixar's Cars 3, which will be in theaters on June 16th. In Animal Kingdom, everybody is gushing over Pandora, and there are some cool lesser-known features for the kiddos there. If they like doing the Wilderness Explorer Challenge, there are two new badges they can earn within Pandora focusing on botany and ecology. So make sure they earn those and learn some cool facts from the cast members. And you can also make your own avatar action figure inside the Wind Traders shop. And it's a really cool process that kids and adults both are sure to love. Thanks for listening and until next time, don't forget, you can fly.
when they see my face And a voice keeps saying This is where I'm meant to be I'll be there someday I can go the distance I will find my way If I can be strong I know every mile Will be worth my while When I go the distance This is John Weiner of Voice of Gurgy 
in the black comedy by telling you you're listening to Disney on demand. Who let the dogs out? Hello everyone, this is Dominic, and welcome to another edition of Disney Short Leash. If you're new to the segment, a short leash isn't something acceptable for Pluto, but degrading for Goofy. No, the short leash is a series of tips for people to get the most out of their Walt Disney World vacation when they are short on time or short on money. With any luck, you may be able to try some of these suggestions and quite possibly do as much, if not more, than someone vacationing with a greater amount of time or a larger budget. We have our first short leash write-in tip this week. This one came via email from Remy, who writes... The podcast is great, the D-team is awesome, and the guests you all get are amazing. Now on to my tip. My tip is if you break your stroller while at the parks, take it to the front at Main Street and have them call maintenance. More times than not, they will repair your wheel or loose bolts, etc. It's really helpful. Thank you, Remy. That is awesome. I did not know that might be possible to get your stroller repaired while on vacation by Disney Maintenance. As I discussed on an earlier segment, we tried to wait for our kids to be able to walk on their own all day long before we tried to take them on a trip to Walt Disney World. Stamina and ride height-wise, we waited until they were around four years old. That seemed to be our butter zone of endurance, attraction height, and most important, fantasy wonderment. There was one trip that we took with my sister and her kids along with our parents. They decided it would be a good idea to take all the grandkids to Disney before they got too senile or decrepit, and they almost made it. I'm kidding. Don't write in. Jokes like that are the reason my mom has the estate attorney on speed dial. And looks like my sister just got the beach house. On that trip, our youngest daughter was almost four, but our son was only two. In fact, he turned two on the trip. Stay tuned for a future Have Your Kids Birthday at Disney World segment. We flew down with a full-on double stroller delivered straight from hell to torment all who are around us. Yes, for one trip, we were those people. We had a whole scoring system. One point for toes, three and a half points for shins. It was great. Put up big numbers. Kidding aside, honestly, besides trying to get it on the plane and onto Disney transportation, go back to the why we hate the bus episode, it was actually pretty awesome. When it wasn't holding the kids, it was holding our stuff, and with a kid in diapers and all the accessories that come with that, stuff was plentiful. It also made a nice shopping cart when it came to holding our grandchild's spoiling gift shop booty. Which leads us to Remy's question. Remy asks, could you give me some short trip tips for making the most out of our shopping at the Magic Kingdom without losing too much park time? I love the stores, but how can I max the time at each store throughout the park and not lose attraction time? Okay, Remy, finding time for shopping to not interfere with your park time is easier than you think. First, do your shopping on your travel days. Listen to a few earlier segments about using your travel day as non-park days. The gist of it is if you don't use all the park time available, especially on a short trip, you're wasting money. So I recommend not buying tickets on your travel day and instead heading to the resort hotels or Disney Springs. Both are great places to shop without interfering with your park time. But you specifically asked about the Magic Kingdom. So for a Magic Kingdom specific tip, use Main Street's quasi-tunnel system. And I'm not talking about the labyrinth of tunnels and utilidors that run under the Magic Kingdom that make up the park's true first floor. I'm talking about the fact that most of the buildings on Main Street are actually interconnected, and an overwhelming majority of them are trying to sell you some kind of gift. See, to bypass parade crowds or to avoid the log jam of everybody staging the perfect castle photo, I often use these interconnected shops as a shortcut down Main Street. However, when, and not if, when it rains, you can use these shops as an almost endless Disney mall to keep your body dry and your wallet flowing. 
I'm not sure if I'd use the Main Street shops during the rain on a short lease trip. There's plenty of covered attractions to enjoy while it rains, but I might use Main Street as the place to shop on the way out of the park on our final day. Waiting till the end of the trip to do your shopping is also a good idea so you can see all the goodies before you buy. There's nothing worse as a shopper than blowing your money than seeing something you want even more a little later on your trip. Waiting until the end of the trip gives you the lay of the land and ample window shopping time before you buy your gifts. Some of my favorite places for typical park fare are World of Disney and Disney Springs, the shops at Hollywood Studio and Main Street, and Mouse Gear at Epcot. But there are plenty more. Like everywhere. You can shop at the gift shops outside of an attraction. For something a little bit more specific, you can go jewelry or even some home decor. Walk around the boardwalk, you'll even find a shark shellacked and painted like a hot rod. Who doesn't want to go home from their Walt Disney World vacation with a shellacked flamed hot rod shark? That is a need, not a want, people. If you have kids, or even worse, if your kids have overzealous parents who on their honeymoon almost bought a $5,000 full-size replica of E.T. at the park that shall not be named, I strongly recommend strict gift shop budgeting. A budget that is enforced via predetermined set value gift cards. I imagine if you listen to this podcast, you are a willing zombie for Disney's sinisterly delightful marketing machine that produces irresistible merchandise that makes vacation shopping a fun part of any Disney vacation. Making sure that shopping doesn't drain both your time and wallet, well, that's short leash people. I hope you enjoyed the tip. I would like to thank Remy for the tip in question. If you would like to get in on that for a future segment, I do have an official Diz Radio email, so I'd love to hear from you with a hi, some questions, suggestions, or even your own short leash tips at dominic at disradio.com. That's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at disradio.com. I also can be found on the internet on Twitter at WDW Plantoons and on YouTube or your favorite podcast apps by searching WDW Plantoons or by visiting plantoons.com. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. That girl was the beauty of Disney's Hercules. Fashion Secrets Megara. She is beautiful. What's her secret? A look for day, a look for night. Her magic ribbon does it right. Give her a look for every mood. Catch the eye of a hunky muscle dude. What the boys in love? <laughs> She's cool and classy. What's her secret? She's sleek and sassy. The ribbon's her secret. Fashion Secrets. Lights, camera, action. It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment here at Disney Blues, Diz Radio, and the Diz Radio Show. And as we continue to bring you the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, many times those are ones that are on the big screen, on Broadway, the small screen, and so many other places. And with us here this week is somebody that you know as a solo artist, somebody who's accomplished on Broadway, as well as the voice of Meg in Disney's Hercules. We have none other than the talented, the iconic, Susan Egan here. Welcome to Disney On Demand. Wow, thank you so much. That was such a nice intro. Thanks. It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, your resume continues to impress. I mean, I go through it and I'm like, you've played so many parts in many people's lives. But the one question that I always love to start it off with for everybody is what led you down this road of wanting to be on Broadway, singing, acting, and so much more? Oh, my goodness. You know, it's not something that, like, your career counselor suggests. You know, um, I, I happened upon it. My parents loved theater. And so we would go to theater as a kid. And like every once in a while, we'd drive up to LA and see, you know, like a touring production, but mostly it was the high school productions or local community theaters. Um, and I, and I loved it. And we listened to soundtracks. And so it's really their fault 
even though nobody in my family had ever been in the entertainment industry. Um, and so by the time I was in high school, um, it was, you know, just this hobby. But my best friend was the star of our school. She was Miss Adelaide and Guys and Dolls, and I was like the second hotbox girl on the end because I could dance. And she wanted to take voice lessons and needed a carpool partner. So my mom drove one way and her mom drove one way, and I happened upon the most amazing teacher in the world. Her name was Jan Richel, and she started a lot of careers, and I just, my voice sort of flourished very quickly. And I had a very small voice, um, but just wanted to maybe, you know, get a solo or two in the choir program. <laughs> um, but I happened <laughs> upon this amazing teacher, and I started auditioning, you know, outside of school in community theaters, and I was getting cast, and all of a sudden, you know, it looked like, hmm, as I was entering college, maybe this was something I, I kind of wanted to pursue. And I just kept thinking, like, well, I'll give it a year, and I'll give it another year, and things were going well. I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it another And I just kept waiting for it to stop working. Um, and then I would go back and, and get a degree in something sensible and get a, you know, a job and a life. Um, but I just got very, I was very fortunate. I worked really hard. I don't want it to say, like, it all just fell into place. Um, but it's not like I had to have a lot of discipline to work very hard. I enjoyed it. So I went home after school every day, and I would practice, you know, voice for one or two hours, which is not recommended because it tires your vocal cords out. But but I did. Like I was sort of obsessed with it all, and um, and and just started working and kept pursuing the opportunities, and you know, keeping my eyes open and and also recognizing what I wasn't doing well and going out and finding the teacher that could teach me how to do that and so that I could just keep adding to my bag of tricks so that by the time I moved to New York, I was sort of prepared. Well, you know, and with that, like you said, it's one of those things where you did work hard. You didn't just, it just didn't fall into place, things like that. But that's also going to lead us to, you know, being that originating uh, portrayal of Belle in the Broadway edition of Beauty and the Beast. And this was kind of, you know, that, that breakthrough moment when Disney decided, well, let's take our films, put them on Broadway. Now, I guess, what was it like when you realized, I'm going to portray Belle, and were you a fan of the original animated classic? Oh my gosh, there's so much there. Um, first of all, it seems so obvious now, 23 years later, for Disney to produce Broadway shows. But you have to understand, they were redefining the entire industry. Broadway was dying out. When I moved to New York in 91, 92, everybody sort of said, like, well, you know, there's like a five-year shelf life you know, left for Broadway because the audiences are getting older, the tickets are too expensive, um, you know, the audiences are basically dying out. It was something that had its heyday in the 50s and 60s. And um, and Disney changed that single-handedly. They went in, there were five producing entities on Broadway, and there had been five producing entities for the last 100 years. And Disney came in without the help of any of those entities. They had been pursuing Disney, mind you, because Disney had all the materials and um, source materials and, and money. But Disney's like, why? And Michael Eisner's like, why, why, why do I need you? I can just do this on my own. And they're like, no, you can't. And he said, yes, I can. And, um, <laughs> and they were originally going to do Mary Poppins, <clears throat> but you probably know this well, but, um, they couldn't make the deal because, uh, at, by that point, Disney only had a 50% of the rights and, um, the other 50% had been bequeathed to Cameron McIntosh. Also a very big sort of, you know, successful ego 
in British theater. And so Eisner and, and you know, Cameron McIntosh couldn't broker a deal. And so finally they turned to Beauty and the Beast and just saw all kinds of problems because how do you work with 10-inch objects? Like what? how would that even happen? And it was Rob Ross who convinced Eisner, he was our director, who convinced Eisner, I think we just need to change the mythology, that they are not instantly enchanted objects, but instead they are humans who are slowly transforming into enchanted objects, and we can make them life-size. And um, it raises the stakes that they need the beast to succeed as much as the beast needs, because not only will they be stuck as objects forever, they will actually become inanimate. They will die. Um, Mrs. Potts is looking at her son, Chip, who basically has a terminal illness at this point, because he will be a teacup and no longer have any life whatsoever at a certain point when that pedal falls. And that sort of raised the stakes, and they figured out how to make it work on stage. And um, and that's when they ended up, you know, moving forward with that piece and auditioning. Now, I had not seen the movie. <laughs> um, I had seen The Little Mermaid, though, and I loved it. But I had been on tour the year that, that Beauty and the Beast came out in theaters, and I just, you know, I was doing eight shows a week, and I was not going to the movies, and I didn't see it. And... Um, I had just moved to New York after a national tour of Bye Bye Birdie, and I had my sights set on Greece or um, Carousel or uh, uh, My Fair Lady, all of which were, were happening that season. And I auditioned for those, and I was called back for some and didn't get a call back for others, but, but was moving forward with one of those shows. And uh, when my agent called about Beauty and the Beast, and I just thought, ugh. Who wants a cartoon on Broadway? I was like this sometimes snob. And he says, well, listen, you've never met this casting director before. I think you should just go in. So I went in. And the only thing I knew was Little Mermaid and um, and Jodie Benson's voice. I go, well, they must like Jodie Benson's voice because they cast Jodie, right? And she sounds a lot like Liz Calloway to me, whose voice I obsess on. And so I sang a Liz Calloway song from the musical Baby, which is wholly inappropriate. It's about a young woman unmarried who's pregnant so has nothing to do with Belle but <laughs> but I mimicked I did my best Liz Calloway impersonation and um, I went to the very last day of their initial calls and um, Tia Riebling who was an amazing is an amazing actress she was sitting in the waiting room and when I came out after singing my song she's like you got this job I go I did not get this job that's ridiculous um, she says, no, I think you got this job. In the room, I sang, and they kind of perked their heads up a little bit and said, well, here are, here's the scene. Go take your time. We're here till five. Come back whenever you want. Work on it. And come back with the scene. So I went out with this piece of paper, and then Tia Riebling's comment, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, Tia. Like, you've got it. You look like Belle. You're beautiful. Like, I had spiky red hair. I did. I look like Peter Pan, right? Um it's such a testament to don't edit yourself. Let other people will edit you, let them, but don't ever limit yourself. I didn't I didn't want to go to this audition because she's described as the prettiest girl in the village. I'm like, I'm not the prettiest girl. I'm not even the 50th prettiest girl in the village. Like I am average girl next door, which makes me right for a lot of roles, but not this one. And my agent's like, you know, just go. Just go and meet the casting director. Thank God, I did. So anyway, the scene was um 
this, one of the scenes was a scene between Papa and Val where she says, you know, do you think I'm odd? And, you know, any acting teacher is going to say, take clues from the script. So I thought, well, she must be odd because they say she's odd. And so I thought, let's make her odd. And so I did something quirky, like crossing my eyes or something, and, and I made them laugh. And um, that was fun. And read the scenes. And then um, about a week and a half later, I got a call saying, you're – you're going to the next level. The next level was three days in a row, and the first day was um, working with the director, a choreographer, a musical director. And then the second day was singing for Alan Menken, and I was really nervous for that day because I knew who that was because <laughs> he wrote Little Shop of Horrors <laughs> and Little Mermaid. And, um, and so I was really nervous to sing for Alan, and it was what they call the best of Val. It's, you know, Little Town and the, oh, isn't this amazing? And, you know, she didn't have a song in the movie that was her own, so it was just that stuff. And uh, and so I sang that, and um, and they'd cut a bunch of girls the first day, and then they cut a bunch of girls after Alan, but I made it to the third day. And the third day was doing the song and the scenes for all the Disney executives. And so I get to... Um, the John Hausman Theater, which has since been renamed, but um, it's John Hausman Theater on 43rd Street, off Broadway's face, at like 9 in the morning. And I was one of the first ones to go in, and there's like just backstage, there's like 20 bells, right? And everybody's in a blue dress with their hair in a ponytail. And, and I did sort of, before those three days, I did sit and think like, okay, everyone's going to be in a blue dress with a brown ponytail. And what do they need to know? They need to know that I can look Disney, but I don't want to look like Belle. Not yet, right? So I had just done Bye Bye Birdie, and like I said, I had this spiky red hair. But for Birdie, they had given me this fall, so I used my little spike, my little red bangs, and then I had this long hair that went down my back, just with a headband, very sort of 1950s, and a little bit like Alice in Wonderland, right? But not the right color. And I wore a red dress. Um, but I looked, you know, I looked Disney, but not Belle. But I was so nervous, and I didn't want to make eye contact with anybody, that I was just, I sat myself in a corner and I read a book. And the casting director told me later, he's like, I always knew it was going to be you because you were the girl reading a book. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's your bell, right? And it's so funny because I was reading Miss of Avalon, which is a, like King Arthur's story. So anyway, I didn't know any of this till later. But that day, um, they eliminated people and they asked if I could stay and read with a couple of Gastons and a couple of Beasts, which makes it sound like I was progressing, but I had just been called back for another Broadway show where they asked if I could stay. And it was basically, they had asked a lot of people if they could stay and I was the only one available to read with these other actors and I ended up not booking the gig. So this didn't mean anything to me. But I'm so grateful that I got to because I got to read with three other Gastons and one other Beast. And... Also with Terrence Mann, who got the role, and Burke Moses, who got the role. And um, and the choice was so obvious. They were so amazing. I was so glad that I got to read with all these other actors because I got to see why they made the choice they made. One of the actors was Richard White, who was Gaston in the movie. And I thought, yeah, I mean, he looks like Gaston. He sounds like Gaston. He's huge. And he was so attentive. You know, he, he said, you know, so Belle, you know. What are you reading? Why are you reading books? You know, that whole scene. And um, and he was great. And then I read with Burke, who never looked at me once. If you had asked his guest on what color Belle's eyes were, he would never know. And 
what was great about that was that it sort of gave me this opportunity to look for my escape route, to look at the audience. I was getting laughs, all this kind of fun stuff. And then it was the same with the other guy who read for the Beast. He was great. He was very prince-like. And then there was Terry, who like would circle the chair. Why won't you come down for dinner? And he's, you know, like smelling me, and he's doing all this different stuff. Like he was an animal. <laughs> it was amazing. And I was there from nine in the morning until about four thirty in the afternoon, and I was so wiped emotionally, you know, and went home to my apartment in Harlem with my dog and and about 8 o'clock that night I got a call from my agent saying you got the role and I was she was more excited than I was because by that point I was just so tired and relieved and um, what had happened between day 2 and day 3 was that at the end of day 2 when they told me I was coming back for day 3 I panicked and I asked Rob Roth the director should I go rent the movie and he said no just keep doing what you're doing and at the end of day three, after everybody else had gone, even though I had just done this scene 50 times, they asked if I would do the scene one more time because I had been getting laughs. I had been doing a lot of different things. And I looked at Rob. I go, you want me to play it straight, like pure ingenue, Lori in Oklahoma? He's like, do you mind? I go, no, 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 thank you for the opportunity. So I did. I played it very straight, no laughs, no nothing. And he said, thank you. He's like, you know, and... um I'm so glad they gave me that opportunity because I don't think I was like the movie very much. Like, I think I sound like Paige, but maybe I was a little bit different than what Paige had done. And what if they had panicked and said, no, 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 we can't cast that girl because she's outside the box. And so I got to show them I could be inside the box, but even though, honestly, now that I've seen Paige's performance, she was funny. She was all kinds of wonderful things, but I think they just (laughs) were worried. It was their first foray. And I think they thought they had to be really, really true to the movie or audiences would not be accepting. Um, But after I got the phone call from my agent that third night, Rob called and Matt West called, the choreographer. And um, they said um, the most amazing thing about today was that every single person we cast, it was unanimous. There were like 20 Disney executives, including Michael Eisner, who I didn't know who he was, but there was some guy in the back who kind of looked like David Letterman to me, and that was Michael Eisner. (laughs) Um, and, uh, he says it was all unanimous. Everybody wanted Terrence Mann. Everybody wanted Burt Moses. Like, and, and I just thought, oh, me too. I wanted them too. They were amazing. And Gary Peach and <laughs> Beth Fowler and just everybody. Like they said it was the, they said casting took five minutes. At the end of the day, it took five minutes. And then everybody went for drinks. And they called and, um, and Matt said, do you want to dance or do you want to watch? I go, what do you mean? He's like, and be our guest. Do you want to sit at a table and watch or do you want to dance? And, Dancing was my first love. I go, I want to dance. I want to do fan kicks. He's like, okay, you'll dance. And that's where I got to start being creative. Um, but after that phone call, it was like 9.30 at night. I went out on the streets of Harlem with my dog, and I went to Blockbuster, because that's what you did in those days. And I rented the movie on VHS. <laughs> and I watched it, and then I panicked. That's when I panicked. Because I thought, well, you- oh, my God, this is amazing, and this is a huge role. And... I'm glad now I didn't see it beforehand. I think I would have panicked. But then after that, yeah, then after that, working on it, you know, I think the way to stay true to the movie is to do what Paige did, which was be authentically Paige. You know, what's so beautiful about her performance, and now that I know her, is that it's her, it's Paige. And so for me to honor that, I needed to be authentically me. 
and that included the quirkiness, which they never asked me to ever play straight again. And there's an hour more material in the in the play because the movie's only 90 minutes. So I got to add more information to the audience who already loved, you know, this character. And it was a big learning curve for Disney because we were dressed just like the movie. The color palette was just like the movie. Like everything, Terry was in lists and I was in flats so that our profile would be exactly like that movie poster, the same ratio of size. And that was a mistake. Um, our best performance, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was still at Disney at the time, said your best performance was the last run-through in the re- in the rehearsal hall before we had costumes or makeup. Because, you know, then they put a bunch of prosthetics on everybody's faces who were the objects and Terry as the beast, and you lost their expressions, and they had to... They had already designed the show. They they took away the prosthetics and just did, you know, painted makeup, but by then the set was already set, and and I think what they learned was audiences are much more sophisticated than they had given them credit for. And you don't have to be just like the movie. They will go with you on this journey. And if you look at their very next show, Lion King, it didn't look anything like the movie. And it's still one of the biggest hits Broadway has ever seen. And I love that Disney, it only took them one show to figure that out. Um, but with Beauty and the Beast, we were already designed and money was already spent. And so we're going to, we're going to look like the movie, <laughs> which is fine. But I look forward to a revival where it's like in a black box and it, it like the Elephant Man. It's just it's just left to the audience's imagination because the material is so good. You don't even need the spectacle. Well, definitely. And like you said, this was something new, different, original, and Disney was breaking new ground in that area. Now, with that, were you taken back by the reception it received and how widely popular it became? Like Disney had finally done this right. Okay. Um. It's interesting that you say that because the reception we received were terrible reviews and we were the laughing stock of Broadway. I did an interview with Katie Couric where she asked me how I feel that everybody says we're turning Broadway into Six Flags. I mean, rude. <laughs> um, it, we were not accepted in the community by any means. Um, nominated for 13 Tony Awards and only Anhold Award won costumes. Um, and yet, the commercial for the 1994 Tony Awards was Be Our Guest. It was just us. It wasn't a single other show. Um, but it was a colossal hit. You're right. Lines around the block. And without the guidance of Terry and Burke and Beth Fowler and Gary Beach, I don't know that I would have navigated it as well because it was politically incorrect to like that show because – Disney was this, you know, upstart, and they were turning 42nd Street into, you know, Disneyland, and, um, you know, and we were stupid, and all, you know, I mean, it was so juvenile, Um, and people were more concerned about the 42nd Street deal between Giuliani and Eisner than, than the show, but the success spoke volumes, so the success then showed DreamWorks, because now Jeffrey's at DreamWorks, and Universal, and Sony, and all these other movie studios, that there is money to be made, and they already own the source material, and they should do live shows. And then we got Hairspray, and, um, you know, I mean, just amazing things. The resurrection of Broadway was a one-two punch. It was Beauty and the Beast bringing in families. We knew the kids would be in a theater for the first time, but we didn't know their parents also had never seen live theater. And you can't explain live theater to somebody who hasn't been there. 
that there's an energy in the room that is different than a movie. And um, so it brought families for the first time. Then the next year, Rent opened, and it brought the teenagers. That paved the way for Wicked and Thoroughly Modern Millie. And, you know, within three years, I'm doing other shows like Millie, like Cabaret, and I'm seeing teenagers line up around the corner for the student rush tickets for the first four rows. And that was not the case before Beauty and the Beast and Rent. And so, you know, we didn't know that was going to happen. We knew we had sold a lot of tickets, and so we were fine. We were review-proof. But um, but it would have been nice to have been accepted by the community, which, of course, now Disney is, but it's, you know, 23 years later. It seems so obvious, like I say now, for Disney to produce Broadway. But at the time, they were stepping on major toes. The Schuberts were not happy. The Jujamsons, the Nederlanders, they wanted, you know, they wanted Disney money, and then they wanted to be in control of it. And Disney, you know, had to rent the palace from the Nederlanders, but even Eisner's like, I'm never doing that again, and he bought the new Amsterdam Theater. And then we did it. And then, you know, American Airlines bought, bought a theater, and other corporations bought theater. And then there's the complaint that, well, Disney's become, or Broadway's become corporate. And I'm like, well, thank God, because it was dying and corporate dollars are great. Like, take the corporate dollars. I, I'm okay with that. It's employing a lot of people <laughs> and, and a lot of artists who need the work. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to be, to be a big hit and to be lambasted at the same time. Well, definitely. And, of course, speaking of Disney and voiceover roles and portraying Meg in Hercules. Now, that is one of those characters that I instantly fell in love with or fell in love with where I was hoping she was my girlfriend. But just saying that, anyways, towards this was towards the tail end of the hand-drawn era of Disney animation. But the film was full of fantastic music. It was fun. And what was it like portraying a character that everybody knows and loves? Because we all know that if you made it in a Disney animated classic it's definitely getting passed down from generation to generation to stand that test of time. Right. And I talk about this um, in my concerts for Disney, that I had always dreamed of being on Broadway, but Broadway is ethereal. I mean, it's gone by 1030 at night. 1115 if you're in Les Mis is my joke. And maybe a few clips on YouTube, um, but it's gone. It's, it's happening in real time. But to be part of a Disney animated feature is to be part of something instantly timeless. And so I was overjoyed. They wouldn't let me audition for Meg at first because I was playing Val and the characters are very different, obviously. I had to beg and beg and be a squeaky wheel and finally I got to audition and what they didn't know is that I had seen every 1930s and 40s movie with, and Meg was likened to Barbara Stanwyck in The Lady Eve, but I also likened her to Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, um, Lauren Bacall, you know, if you need me, just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you? It's that cadence that those ladies used in the movies of the of that era and the script for hercules was so great that it lent itself to that you know mega my friends call me meg at least they would if i had any friends so you know i mean it's like it's the same thing if you need me just whistle it's the same it's the same girl you know she's the mob she's the mob's girl the mob gangster's girl um and i finally got the role and i was so jazzed that it was alan menken again doing it and of course doing it in the same style that he had written my favorite show, which is Little Shop of Horrors, this, all this 1960s, you know, gospel, doo-wop, great music. And, um, and with David Zippel writing the lyrics, who's <laughs> hilarious. Um, it was great. And 
I was just in awe every time I went in because you start with the with the storyboards and then you see scratch animation and then you'll see like every once in a while they'll fully color one cell and so you get this blast of color of like what it's going to look like in the final and you know you'll do little rewrites and you know you you lay down what's scripted and then they let you just free for all um and so I got to do a lot of sessions with with Tate as Hercules and also a session with Jim Woods which was hilarious I was so nervous. I thought, you know, the drug lord from Salvador is going to come in. It's like super serious actor. And he was not like that. He was like Robin Williams. You couldn't get him to shut up, which was part of the fun. You know, like I would have lines, but he would just keep talking and finally, you know, are you finished your oneness? And it ended up in the movie, you know, because (laughs) Meg couldn't get a word in. Um, Meg, Meg, my little peg, my little nutmeg, my little, none of that was scripted. That's all just James Woods. Um, just the used car salesman version of Hades. It was great. Um, so that was just really, really cool. And I think the best thing about it, I don't look anything like Meg, but when my friends saw the movie, it was the first time they recognized me in a character that I'd played. And I laughed because they weren't going to let me audition and because I was Belle. And I just wanted to say with that to them, you know, I'm acting when I play Belle. Meg is right where I live. I've had a string of bad boyfriends. Like, I can't, you know, I can't hold a relationship. <laughs> you know, like, nothing's going right. And sarcasm is my go-to. Um, so I love that. But she's such a unique character because she's the only Disney girl that starts out on the villain side and ends up on the hero side. But she's not a princess or even a goddess. Um She's this sort of in-between, but I I like to say she's like the only non-virgin Disney heroine, which I kind of dig. That's why I think <laughs> she's so relatable. She's flawed, and she messes up all the time. And um, she's got a witty retort, but she's broken, too. And so she's vulnerable. I, I, love, I love, love her. And well, even though know, she's sort of a forgotten Disney heroine, I I love her. I wouldn't trade her for the world. And I think it's like you said, that she's relatable. And that draws people in right there. Now, nobody is perfect. And as much as we want to be, it, it's her flaws that really make her real and relatable to anybody watching this film. Now, becoming an animated character as the film continues to inspire all new generations. And do you ever find yourself stopping when it's on television, watching it, or even passing it down to your children? Uh, exactly. My kids love Hercules. That's, that's the one thing they'll watch. Um, and, uh, you know, we eat our pancakes off the McDonald's plates and all that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know that you are busy and have a lot of different things going on, and we may have to continue this conversation at a future date because you have so many different things going on. Everything from solo albums, voice work, Broadway, music, so many different things out there in memorable roles. We're definitely going to have to continue this at a future date. But for all of your fans out there, fans of Susan, fans of your performances, fans of everything you've done, and people passing these things down to new generations, and even like myself, passing it on to my children. Is there anything you'd like to leave out there for all of those fans of Susan that are tuning in right now? Oh, it's just so much so much an honor to be a part of it. And I love that, like, when I started this, there was no social media, and now there is. And I get to meet and get in contact. I mean, there was no Comic-Con back in the early 90s that I knew of. Um, and so now I get to meet people one-on-one and hear their experiences. And, and then also the other half of it is now that I'm a mom and I'm watching 
my kids don't care about me at all or Belle or anything, but they freaked out when they met Jody Benson. And half of me is like, what am I, chopped liver? And the other half was like, oh, I love that they get that magic and Jody will roll her eyes and sign her autograph for them and laughing at me. But, um, but now I get the magic of it on, from the other end as the mom. And I, I'm so grateful to Disney on every level for things like that. And even for like the Miyazaki movies, which Disney then brought to America that I, I got to voice two of those. And even watching the genius of, of that, of the Studio Ghibli and, and, and how they were doing all of that and to be a part of that, which is a whole different line of, you know, people who are into anime. I just, I'm enjoying it as both a spectator and a participant. And, uh, and I welcome people to find me online and find me on Twitter and, Tell me what they think, and I try and respond to everybody. And I'm going to be at um, at the uh, D23 this year because it's the 20th year of Hercules, and uh, I get to introduce Alan Menken and do some fun stuff there. So if anybody's going to the convention, come find me. And and uh, you know, I'd love to meet people in, in person. <laughs> well, it was our pleasure, Susan, having you stop in, take this time from your busy schedule today, and creating these roles and performances that remain memorable, inspiring, and will continue to be passed on for future generations. Thank you once again for stopping in, and we will certainly have to continue this conversation in the future, and have a good rest of your day, and thanks for all the memories. Thanks so much, Jonathan. It's truly an honor. I appreciate the time. I've been up since 4 a.m. Cause she had a runny nose Changed her diapers twice Washed her dirty clothes She threw down her sippy cup And then smeared me with some jam I looked at her and said Don't you know who I am? doesn't care if I was once a star She just pulls my hair as I strap her in the car She's never seen me soar or charm him with a song Once an ingenue, to her I'm only mom When I'm on stage it's like I walk on air Nina doesn't care The Times said I was stunning I got four stars from the post Nina only giggles Whacks me with her toast As she puts me through the paces I try not to yell But it's hard when she prefers The mermaid over She just makes a face and spits up on my dress She's never seen my name up on the marquee She's the princess now, I'm just plain old me She's never seen me in the spotlight's glare Nina doesn't care if my hair's just right Or I took three curtain calls She just needs me to hold her tight, catch her when she falls. Nina doesn't care if I've had a lousy night, tired voice worn out, 
Every song a fight, or if I lost the part, a role I wish I had won, or got a bad review, what more could I have done than holding hers the answer to my prayer? Zeus, please hear me and, and answer my prayer. Hercules, how do you become a true hero? Look inside your heart. Walt Disney Pictures presents. What the gladiator? Stronger than ten men and having a devil of a time. Name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? Trying to prove himself. Get ready to run. Favorite part of the game, sudden death. This summer, come on, take off on an epic new adventure. I'm right behind you, kid. I'm way behind you, kid. Featuring a monster cast. Uh, guys, Olympus would be that way. A hotshot villain. I've got 24 hours to get rid of this bozo. And you are wearing his merchandise. And one true hero. It's the man. Hercules. 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 The myth. I'm an action figure. The movie. And hey, two thumbs way, way up. Hercules. Well, well, it's a small underworld after all, huh? Oh, my siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC82. Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the vault, where it's very easy to become zero to hero in no time flat. I'm so glad you were able to come back down here. I'm sorry it's been a little bit sporadic around here, but you know, that only means I'm viewing the best in Disney Blu-ray just for you. Pegasus has whispered in my ear, stating that Susan Egan, Meg herself, is upstairs in the DoD studios right now. It's great to see the heroines of Disney's Pantheon, literally, being eloquently taken care of by our own Jonathan. So it is only fitting for a princess, or is she a goddess? Hmm, makes you think, that I bring out the 35th animated feature in Disney's Catalog of Excellence with the 1997 hand-drawn animated classic, Hercules. This movie couldn't be any simpler, but that doesn't take away from any of the fun that it is. Taken from his parents as a newborn and adopted by earthly parents, Hercules, voiced by Tate Donovan, is the son of Zeus and Hera. It should be no problem for a demigod to be able to handle the world of man. Wait until puberty hits, and you thought your teenage years were awkward. Even though his strength has been throughout his life, it isn't until these awkward years that he realizes he truly doesn't fit in. So besides having a montage, 
and feeling awkward, it is time for his real father to come down from Mount Olympus and let him know exactly who he is, so that he can become the true warrior that he is inside. Taking the advice from his dad, he packs up his winged friend Pegasus, whom he had at birth, to meet Phil, voiced by the curmudgeonly wonderful Danny DeVito, as the feisty personal trainer of the gods, who is bound and determined to make Hercules the hero he truly is and reclaim his birthright amongst the stars. There seems to be two obstacles in his way from making that leap. One is the feisty yet beautiful Meg, who isn't quite certain how to make heads or tails of this demigod. And of course, Zeus's brother, Hades. Yes, the king of the underworld, voiced by James Wood, who, as most villains want to, take over the world. He's not going to make Hercules' journey any easier, considering the obstacles he must climb and avoiding the misadventures of Hades' henchmen, Pain and Panic, voiced by Bobcat Goldthwait and Matt Max Hedrum Frewer. It is going to be one devilish of a ride in order to make this god, or demigod, the man he's meant to be, to go the distance. Now, Hercules is one of those films that I really enjoy, and there are many out there who love it, and unfortunately, some who aren't even sure as to why Disney even put it out on film. Disney has conquered the fairy tale realm for many years, and it wasn't until the Disney Renaissance in which our animated classics started to delve into other classic pieces of literature, be it Shakespeare through The Lion King, pure French literature in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and now this, Greek mythology through the eyes of Hercules. Most people say it was for the animation. Look at it. It is gorgeously stunning. And the style of it was to be depicting that of Grecian urns. And you can see that with the chiseled nose and the angular portions of everyone's body. Some say it was the music. Rather than being just straight Broadway tunes, it became something very poppy with a cross between Southern Gospel. What a great way to explain Greek mythology, which at that time was religion to them, by using gospel music the first voice of religious music in the United States, and pair it with pop music to get old and new interested in this film. And again, of course, the subject matter itself, Greek mythology, very difficult for many people to understand. However, when you toss this all together in the great Grecian urn that is Hercules, it becomes a wonderful spectacular for everyone to watch. And with every Disney film since the advent of computer-assisted animation, once again, CG elements are added to the great Hydra scene and some other touching moments within Hercules, starting to make that jump between hand-drawn and computer animation. So this Blu-ray packs a punch. When watching this film, you are going to see a good transfer from its original source material although a little bit pixelated in certain aspects, but nonetheless a great addition, seeing that it is a movie from 1997. The audio quality is still going to be great, considering it is mastered in 5.1 digital audio, so you will hear every snap, crackle, and bang that Hercules does dish out. Of course, those bonus features, there are three, but still enjoyable to watch. A nine-minute making of Hercules, you cannot go wrong with understanding the process that it takes from concept 
to completion when it comes to Disney Animator. You will get the Spanish version of Go the Distance, the song that was made popular in the movie as well as sung by Michael Bolton, but this time sung by Ricky Martin. And of course, a sing-along. Who doesn't love a little Disney karaoke to the hit song Zero to Hero? Now, I am a nut for Greek mythology, and as being a D-head, I love Disney animation. So when the two of them merged, I thought this was the perfect pairing. I could not wait for that day to come to actually see this in the theater. I remember actually going to the mall as well, seeing the Hercules bus, giving everyone the opportunity to see the steps in completing this film, as well as the new video game for the PlayStation that was to be released. So does this Blu-ray, which came out in 2014, hold up today? Absolutely. Do you need it in your home? Absolutely. If you don't have this co a copy of it, you can always catch it on a streaming service, but it is always better to own a little bit of Disney history when it comes to the animated classics. Now, I can't tell you how much a Grecian earned, but I can tell you that this spectacular DVD will be going back on my shelf here under H for Hydra, and it has been a slice to be with you today. And I will be back next time with another blue for you to view down here in the vault. So until then, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is a ride on Pegasus's back and always deep inside of you. New from the Disney movie Hercules. Hercules, strongest man alive. You're Hercules. Prove yourself and save the world from Hades. With sword, with axe, with tribal, defeat the evil Nessus. And with Pegasus, crush the monster Cyclops. Oh! Extraordinary, legendary. Hercules. Hercules, strongest man alive. Hercules figures, each sold separately. Powerflex Hercules coming soon. Hello, this is Jonathan Freeman. I am the voice of Jafar in Disney's Aladdin. Not only in the film, but also on Broadway. And you are listening to Disney On Command. <laughs> is it Disney On Demand or On Command? I think I might have said Disney On Command. I better do another one. I think I might have said All Command. Right. All right, let's... Uh... <laughs> Hello, this is Jonathan Freeman. I'm the voice of Jafar in the 1992 animated feature Aladdin and also currently appearing as Jafar on Broadway. And you are listening to Disney On Demand. <laughs> Long ago, in the faraway land of ancient Greece, there was a golden age of powerful gods and extraordinary heroes. Greatest and strongest of all these heroes was the mighty Hercules. But what is the measure of a true hero? Now, that is what our story. Will you listen to him? He's making this story sound like some Greek tragedy. Lighten up, dude. We'll take it from here, darling. You go, girl. We are the. Hey there, D heads. Paige here with an all new Magical Moves review. I'm back from my break, all settled into my apartment and fresh out of training to work my job at the Walt Disney World Resort. I'm coming back a week early because when Jonathan told us who was coming into the show this week, I couldn't wait. Susan Egan just finished chatting with Jonathan and as we all know, Miss Egan was the voice of Meg and Hercules, the original actress behind Belle in the Broadway hit Beauty and the Beast, 
and even ventured into the world of direct-to-video Walt Disney Animation as the singing voice of Angel in Lady and the Tramp 2, Scamp's Adventure, along with Roger Bart, the singing voice of Hercules, as the singing voice of Scamp. We are headed to ancient Greece this week to take a look at the soundtrack that was released a month before the film, which was released on June 27, 1997, making Hercules a 20-year-old film this year. The music was written by David Sapel and Alan Menken, who worked together on Pocahontas, and the score was composed by Alan Menken. The soundtrack has become a fan favorite and saw an Academy Award and Golden Globe nomination for Go the Distance. I have three songs queued up and ready to go, so let's waste no more time. Follow me to Mount Olympus as we take a listen to the music from Walt Disney Pictures' 35th animated classic, Hercules. As previously mentioned, Go the Distance was nominated for both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe. While not winning for either, the song became a hit, hailed as an inspirational anthem encouraging listeners as Hercules sings of finding his place in the world and never giving up until he finds what he is meant to do and accomplish. The song has found a home in the Magic Kingdom first as a featured track in Wishes, and now is one of the many songs used to bring to life happily ever after. The song was sung in the film by Roger Barton, his first film role, recorded in a pop version for the credits by Michael Bolton, and recorded in Spanish by Ricky Martin. The song appears as a vocal reprise for Hercules, as well as the melody showing up within the score throughout the film as Herc's personal theme.
would go most anywhere to find where I belong. You can't talk about Susan Egan and Meg Rowe without mentioning her signature song. I Won't Say I'm In Love was not the original song Alan had written for our tough heroine. Known for his romantic ballads, Alan had shown I Can't Believe My Heart to the directors and supervising animator, but was met with hesitation as everyone felt it would be out of character for Meg to sing such a romantic ballad to confess her love. Going back to the drawing board, Alan looked to his girl group songs from Little Shop of Horrors to find the right style for I Won't Say I'm In Love, settling in at 100 beats per minute and a key of C major. Meg was backed up by the now ever-popular muses voiced by Cheryl Freeman, Lilith White, Vanessa White Thomas, LaShans, and Roz Ryan to round out the sound. A fan favorite you won't find too many people who don't sing along when this starts playing. If there's a prize for rotten judgment, I guess I've already won that. No man is worth the aggravation. That's ancient history, been there, done that Don't you think you're kidding? He's the earth and heaven to you Try to keep it hidden Honey, we can see right oh, through no. you You're dying to cry your heart out As you all know, because it's me, we do have to take a look at some score in this review, especially when it comes to an Alan Menken score. Looking this week at the very last piece of score, a true hero is the underlying score while Hercules goes to the underworld to save Meg from Hades' final grasp, dispatches of Hades, revives Meg, and is reunited with his parents on Mount Olympus as a god. Throughout the selection, Go the Distance makes appearances within the instrumentation. 
The mood of the song shifts between intense urgency, grand fanfare and triumph, soft and romantic, returning to an even more grandiose fanfare, and returning to the more soft and romantic as Herc chooses to stay with Meg on Earth at the end of the instrumental track, leading into the film's closing song, A Star Is Born, once again sung by the Muses. The whole track brings the film to an exciting and energetic close as our heroes enjoy victory and love triumphant as they see Phil's wish come true, his trainee and friend mapped out in the stars.
And with that, my time is up for the week. Thanks for sticking around for another Magical Music Review and for coming back to Dis Radio every week. Make sure to find our official page on Facebook, join the D-Wire for more Disney news, discussion, and memories with the D-Team, and feel free to email any of us with any comments, suggestions, or questions at our addresses found under our bios on the official website. Have a wonderful rest of your week, D-Heads, and until next time, see ya! Captain Crunch challenge of heroic proportions. Eat a lot of his junk versus Jim. The winner and crunch scuffering champion of the world. And he knows Captain Crunch cereal is a crunchy good part of a balanced breakfast. For more heroic action, there's Disney's new movie, Hercules. And now you can pick up Pain, Panic, and a Hercules action figure. All three for $4.99 and two proofs of purchase from any Captain Crunch cereal. Available for a limited time. It's one Disney Blues. Disney on demand. Ooh, I thought you were dead. With your host, Jonathan Johnson. What? My dad gave it to me. It shows exactly where we are on the planet. Boop, beep, 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 boop, boop. Was this baby? We'll never be alone. You just tell the man you want to go back to your mother. All right, all of you D-heads, so that's going to wrap up this week's show, show number 180, for the week of June 8th, 2017. I want to extend a very special thank you to the talented, the iconic, the beautiful Susan Egan for stopping in here this week from her busy schedule, chatting with all of us, and I'm looking forward to having a follow-up conversation with even more that uh, you can tackle from your career, because I know we just barely touched upon the surface. Thank you, Susan, once again for taking that time chatting with us, and we're looking forward to seeing you at the upcoming D23 event. I'd also like to extend a very special thank you to the D-Team. Without the D-Team, you'd have nothing more than me rambling week in and week out, so I'd extend a very special thank you to the D-Team, to Dominic, Aaron, Caitlin, Paige, Jason, all stopping in here this week with their signature segments. You truly make it magical, and remember to connect up with the D-Team on our official website at DizRadio.com and drop them an email. Let them know what you like doing, what you like hearing, and pretty much just get to know the D-Team. They don't bite, and they're looking to hear from you. And finally, the most important, after seven plus years, 180 shows, thank you, the D-Heads. That's right, thank you, the D-Heads, for tuning in here every single week for the last seven years. You are the reason that we continue to bring you the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, to bring these nuggets and fun and special guests and news and segments to bring that little bit of magic to your ears every single week. So thank you for supporting us and allowing us to bring these to you every single week. So all of you D-heads, with that said, next week we have a really fun show lined up for you. Yes, and before I clue you in as to who's going to be stopping in, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets. You can like our brand new Facebook page at Facebook.com slash DizRadioShow. That's Facebook.com slash D-I-Z Radio S-H-O-W. You can also join our D-Wire Disney discussion group as well on Facebook there as well and get right into the conversations. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky, kind of magical show here at Diz Radio. And remember, if you just need the magic, you need it in your ears instantly, you're driving, you're commuting, you're in your cubicle at work, and you really just want want to hear that something extra you need that magic in your ears 
It's super easy. Yes, all you have to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe right there. It is that easy. Search Disney Blue, Diz Radio, or Disney On Demand. Hit subscribe and you can get the latest shows on your Android, your iPhone, your iPad, the device of your choosing. And get the latest shows instantly as they get released. So definitely check that out at iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And remember, if I'm talking too fast, I'm talking uh, way too quick for you because I tend to do that. You can find all of these links and more on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. All right, all of you D-heads, with that said, it is out of the way. Next week, I am really excited. As somebody who is a martial artist, somebody who grew up watching some great sidekick action, and somebody who is afraid of electric dragons, and maybe hanging out with some uh, green turtles that like pizza, that's all I'm going to tell you. That's going to hint you in as to who's going to be stopping in here next week. So as summer is in the wings, school is letting out for many people, I want to say, take time, slow down, and as I always say, never neglect family for business. Take that time, make the memories, and make the magic this summer because you only have one chance to really make that moment in time. You don't realize how precious a moment can be until it becomes a memory. Until next week, all of you D-heads, have fun, make the magic, And I'll see you online. Have a fantastic weekend. So you want to be a hero, kid? Well, whoop-dee-doo. I have been around the block before with blockheads just like you. Each and every one a disappointment, pain, for which there ain't no ointment. So much for excuses. Though a kid is Zeus is asking me to jump into the fray. My answer is two words. Even a hope that someone would come along. A fella who'd ring the bell for once, not the gong. The kind who wins trophies, won't settle for low fees, at least semi-pro fees. But no, I get the greenhorn. I've been out to pasture pound, my ambition gone. Content to spend lazy days and to graze my lawn. But you need an advisor, a sater but wiser, a good merchandiser, and whoa, there goes my ulcer. I'm down to one less hope, and I hope it's you. No kid, you're not exactly a dream come true. I trained enough turkeys who never came true. You're my one less hope, so you'll have to do. And ended up a mockery Don't believe the stories that you read on all the crockery To be a true hero kid is a dying heart Like painting a masterpiece It's a work of heart It takes more than sinew Comes down to what's in you You have to continue to grow Now that's more like it I'm down to one last shot and my last high
high note Before that blasted underworld gets my goat My dreams are on you, kid Go make them come true Climb that uphill slope Keep pushing that envelope You're my one last hope And kid, it's all to you Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.